Welcome to the Corkscrew podcast on practice research beyond the PhD. Your host is Dr Sophie Hope, a practice-based researcher in the Film, Media and Cultural Studies Department at Birkbeck, University of London. Each episode brings you up close and personal to Sophie and a guest. We invite you to listen in to these personal stories and to be inspired. Hello and welcome to this episode. Today I'm talking to Rob Watson. Rob completed his PhD in 2018 at De Montfort University. The title of his PhD was Participation and Advocacy in Community Media. So welcome Rob. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Hi Sophie. Hello. Um, and maybe Rob, could you begin by um, casting your mind back to the beginnings of your PhD and tell us a bit about why you wanted to do a PhD in the first place? Um, who were you at that time? What what year was it? And yeah, what, what, what made you embark on it? <laughs> <laughs> right. So how long have we got? <laughs> you know, it's uh, I I st- I had the idea of wanting. I tried to do a PhD at some point in the kind of uh, the, the, the the late nineties, noughties. So uh, and 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 it failed miserably. It was a terrible experience, and it was a terrible topic. And um later on i kind of I, 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 my teaching work kind of uh, at de montfort um took over and kind of i was involved in media production courses just as all of this so when we started uh 97 98 that kind of time you know iphones hadn't been invented uh broadband wasn't commonly available certainly in people's homes it was largely dial up uh, DSLRs hadn't been invented, you know, it's 35 mil, all that kind of stuff. So I, I was involved in some courses about media production, which when I look back on it now, I experienced this, but I didn't really grasp the, the, the relevance of it, which was that it was through this sweeping period of change of this introduction of media production technologies. So I was working in an engineering department. I come from a media studies humanities background and I was working in a, a, an engineer. So I was working with engineers and people who were good at mathematics, could understand Maxwell's equations, that kind of stuff, and do the maths around it and also do the electronics and the development and I'm working with computing scientists. So it was this kind of coming together of uh, really fascinating stuff. And it kind of swept swept you along. And part of it was, you know, we, we, we uh, the story I always tell about this is that we, we, we had a bottleneck on the number of students we could recruit because our photography and video was done in the arts department. And it was, they could only handle, say, 15 students a year. And so we were semesterized. We did 15, did photography in the first semester, and then they did video in the second semester. We swapped over. And we were like, we, you know, we've got this demand in the course. But we had a, one of the engineers was uh, that, that was working on the course was a, a member of the Royal Photographic Society. So we said, hang on a minute. We've got all of these desktops with these computers, and they've got this thing Photoshop on it. And there's these DSLR cameras coming out, you know, early digital cameras coming out. Why don't we do it? And we can take the bottleneck away. And and so we kind of did that, but it caused a lot of controversy because I remember going to a meeting with the head of school at the time in the the the, the arts department, and they said, you know, we've looked at what you want to say in your, your module templates, and and you've used the word creativity. He said, but your engineers were the creatives. And our jaws dropped um, to be able to kind of go, okay, we, we've kind of won this argument, you know, engineering as a creative practice. So I kind of came at it from, uh, uh, you know, it, it was just really interesting and exciting anyway. Mm. So kind of did that for, you know, a, 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 lot, a long time and kind of developing lots of modules. And part of my interest was 
kind of audio production and radio. So, you know, we 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 had Cool Edit Pro, which is you know, which wasn't hadn't been bought out by Adobe at that point. We could put that on the desktops; it was relatively cheap, and we could you know we had microphones and you could start to kind of piece this digital platforms together. And I remember going for a meeting in with the uh, uh, Liam McCarthy, who was the uh, editor at BBC Radio Leicester at one point at, at that stage in their old offices, which was, if you know, Leicester was on Charles Street and now they're on, uh, they've got a dedicated uh, building that was, was was built a few years later. And we were talking about the transition from digital to, uh, from analog to digital. So everything in their old studio was analog. And we had music technology students who could edit audio, multi-track audio, and they were really interested in those students coming and getting work experience. So I thought, okay, well, this potentially could lead to a, a, a radio production course. Uh, so we established a radio production course. It didn't last very long, um, but it, it was it kind of learned a lot from it. And then around about 2008, the Ofcom licenses for the community radio stations were kind of... Uh, uh, T- gathering pace if you like and and i came up with the idea of well can we take our student station demon fm and turn that into a, a full-time community station and and so we applied for a license and you know that, that that's a a whole separate podcast to re- reflect on the learnings of working with uh kind of trying to bring student radio into a community uh, uh structure um uh, you know, very, very interesting experience, but um, but that was successful. So we had a, a radio station that we could integrate, and we got some funding through the university to build some studios. Um, so it was kind of uh, then a natural progression for me to want to reflect on that and to think, okay, well, what is it that uh, def- you know, why is it that people are motivated to volunteer and produce content for community media, for community radio. And I take a, a very agnostic view about any form of media um, as long as it gets people interacting. So it can be video or games or graphic design or even a cup of tea or knitting, whatever it is. I have a, a very agnostic, uh, open uh what we do for radio is we put a microphone in front of people and we capture their conversations. So kind of, so what, what was it that motivates people about that? And so it was, it was then a long, slow process of working through this with the PhD and kind of, um, I I got got about two years into it and I realized it was such a compromised situation to be the, the, if you like the, one of the station directors and then to be reflecting on, how and why the station worked and what people got from it. So I thought, it, yeah, I, 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 I abandoned using the community the Demon FM as a case study, okay. and kind of. But fortunately, in Leicester at the time, there were a number of groups that were doing community media engagement. So there was a uh, Eva FM was a, a is a multilingual multilingual radio station, uh, primarily focused on East African people from East African origin. So. Um, uh, the Leicester has a large number of people who uh, uh, were kicked out by, uh, the, you know, from Uganda and, and places like that, uh, and settled in Leicester. Uh, then there was a project which was about a photographic gallery, uh, which was about a participative, community-focused photographic gallery, which took place at, uh, at the old Leicester Lenden Library. And then the other one was uh, Citizens Eye, which is run by a colleague, uh, John Costa, and it was about. Uh, community news agency citizens journalism in its in a broad mm-hmm. sense 
so it, I spent a couple of years working with, with them and f- finding out what it is that made them tick and what how did it work and how does it uh, work in a place like Leicester, which has got its issues about diversity and you know levels of uh, education and levels of um, uh, economic access and things like that. Um, and kind of then then kind of work through the PhD and trying to find the key, you know, this is what the, the PhD is about, if you like, the the methodology, not just the methodology, but trying to find the framework that gives you access to to generate that insight. Um and uh, uh and then six weeks after I got the PhD in twenty eighteen, uh, I, I was invited to a meeting with my line manager to say, We're making you redundant or we want to make you redundant. And I thought actually the universe tells you these things sometimes, you know, and it's time to move on. And I've done my twenty odd years of teaching and oh. it was like, let's try something else. So uh, it's all good experience. Uh and I think the hardest thing that I'd, I'd kind of just is is actually appreciating that experience sometimes because you've got your head to the grindstone. Mm. Um, and now when I look back and I kind of go, gosh, if only I'd, I'd have been in a position to write a lot of this up and publish it, you know, but you kind of, you know, you, you're constantly working at the grindstone mm. to get stuff, you know, get stuff done. Now I can appreciate that and say, let's value what we've got. So, I mean, that's that's like a, a, a there's there's probably lots of ups and downs. There's probably lots of uh, m- maybe other people might disagree about you know how effective I was in in, in that process. But that for me is the kind of skating over a a, a significant period, so mm. it's kind of a ten year period of getting that 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 PhD done, um, and 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 then coming out of that has been quite interesting as well. Just going back to the. Um... Like that that methodology, I suppose, as well. Like, how can you tell me a bit more about how that evolved? Yeah, it was. I mean, I, I don't come from a social sciences background, so I had no training or you know awareness of <clears> ethnography, <throat> and so I had to kind of tra- tra- train my. It's one bit of advice I would give to anybody doing a PhD. You know, really check out what the method. You know, what the methodology is. Um, but I learned a lot in the process, and you know, my supervisors were very supportive and. Um, so I had to learn about what participant observation is and about mm. you know ethnography and field notes and, and then being able to kind of uh, uh, take things and code it and what you, you know repeating patterns and uh, what I settled on uh, is because I'm informed by I suppose by pragmatism because mm. um, I wanted to look at this from a theoretical perspective if you like it's kind of Dewey and Rorty and people like that but a, a sociological perspective rather than a textual perspective mm-hmm. you know so it's it's all very well you know that that adage of of you know it's not what is embedded in the media as a text it's what people do with it mm-hmm. uh, and and to, to 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 understand that you can't just listen to what people say they do with it you've got to follow it up and see what they do with it which is often different from what people say uh, so it gives you that insight. So you've really got to immerse yourself in that and and appreciating that process uh, took a long time. So you, but you, you're recording things, you're noting things, you're having a dialogue with people constantly, you're finding out where that what the relationship's like. And so I settled on the symbolic interactionism as a, I suppose, as a primary uh, analysis framework, uh, which is a, a kind of Herbert Bloomer and um, kind of comes out of a, a mid 20th century anthropology but it was really the notion that you know what bloomer argues is that we're looking for what he calls the lines of entry 
um, and we're looking at the way that kind of recurring patterns of social behaviour. Uh, so one of the interesting things is he, he says, you know, look at look at the job descriptions that come out. He, he studied industrial uh, industrialism, industrial relations, um, and, and where, what what what's said in job descriptions and how does that change? That gives you an indication of uh, and recruitment processes and things like that. So what he says is that industrial industrialization is a neutral process. There are good examples of industrialization and there are bad examples of it. So you can have ecologically uh, negative impact from industrialization, but you can also have ecologically positive. You can have socially negative and socially positive. He said the the process itself is neutral. It's how it's applied and in the context that it's applied. Oh, right. Okay. So participation in media is a neutral process. It's not mm. necessarily ideologically driven or bound. It's you can point to examples where it's negative. So, a, a negative example of uh, involvement and participation in media would be kind of right wing conspiracy theory uh, uh, platforms. Um, a positive would be a hopefully a community radio station where there's a you know and what defines those things and what shows the differences. So for me, it was about kind of. What's really good is you pull down from the theory and you have to go out and do the field work. And I used to have a a sign above my desk, which is from a, a symbolic interactionist, Robert Proust. And he says, you know, something interesting is happening in the field. Be there. <laughs> and, you know, it, we, you know I, I, I can read plenty of books about the theory of this. Mm. But you know what? As soon as you go out the, out your door, you, you encounter something entirely different. Uh, and so, and I, what I really like about community media is got that kind of authenticity and honesty. So it's not defined by um, a what kind of language is best to use for this? An, an elite group of people who are self-selecting professionals. So it's that Raymond Williams things of you know, to in order to be able to have a democratic media, we need to deprofessionalize it, and you know, facilitate and empower and inspire people to create their own media and to be their own media rather than it just being something which is kind of given to them and handed down to them. Um, and I think we've, we've got a long way to go before we can get back to the, uh, the, the energy that was behind that spirit of, of change and transformation. We've kind of become maybe, maybe discuss this later, but we've become a bit uh, uh, fatalistic about mm. how we use our media and it's, it's, given me the ability now to, to have gone through that process to recognize that there are alternatives to the standard model, the professionalized press, mass media, corporate model of communications. There are other ways that we can explore creative, engagement, engaging, positive ways that we can do this rather than it just being something about this is the way that it's always done. Um, so, so that's interesting now as well. And and Rob, do you, <clears throat> when you were developing that methodology and, and doing that training in ethnography, participant observation, and doing the field work, did you consider that um, a creative practice in itself? Did you did you also involve your? Did you kind of interpret that or use that in your own um, development of community radio? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, yeah, it, uh, yeah it, it's part, it's okay. part of the you know, participant observation. You have to do it. You have to experience it as much as you can. Um, so, you know, if you're going to 
be involved and in, in, um, study a photography group, do photography as well. You know, you have to look at it from the perspective of the because you can't have those conversations with people if you're standing aside with a clipboard, trying try to measure what people are doing, or you know, just just you know, throw yourself in. So for me, you know, it was it it was always about you know that um, that that interaction between practice. It's one of those distinctions. I I, I I don't know whether this is fair or accurate. But it's kind of something that I feel is that I don't know if you've ever been to a conference and somebody says, oh, you know, you practitioners, you know, you're, you're so amazing. You, I mean, all I can do is read books and and you think practice isn't that difficult. And you can't have theory without practice and you can't have practice without theory. Get involved and do it. And I, I, I'm in awe of those academics who read out a very erudite paper. And it sounds, you know, sounds really great, and you kind of sit there going, "Gosh, I wish I could write like that." Uh, but then you find that they, if you gave them a camera, they wouldn't know one end of it from another. And it's like, well, you're not really getting a sense of how this works. The the, the fundamental thing for symbolic interactionism, I think, is that intersubjectivity mm, that yeah. you've got to put yourself in the position where you're trying to figure out what's the what are the lines of opportunity for somebody to move forward or regress whatever it is uh with this i remember having a conversation with a guy who was a uh i think he was a prof of statistics or something at uh, uh university of oxford was at some conference and kind of sitting around having a pint with people afterwards and this guy he, he was kind of like i think he was about 70 something like that and he said you know people used to sit on buses and read newspapers and books and now they're sitting on buses re- looking at their phones so I don't really think it makes any difference I'm like it makes all the difference because it provides you know it's that McLuhan-esque thing isn't it you know the, the medium is the message because the the fundamental insight from symbolic interactionism and bloomer is that you change the symbolic framework you change the meaning you change the meaning and you change the symbolic framework and we do that actively as individuals and we do that collectively as a society, as communities. And the stuff that we have and that we use is what shapes and define us, defines us, but it's also shaped and defined by us. Mm-hmm. So it's, an, it's a relative process and you change one, you change the other. That was the great insight with, that I got from Bloomer, which I subsequently have found out is one of the insights from uh, Carl Jung. So when you're looking at motivations, it's like a, a you know that Einstein uh, relativity model of you know you 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 change the geometry and you change the experience of time you change the time and you expect you know so if we speed things up you ex- mm. you change the geometry that's space time so what I've started to call it is is for good or ill uh, is social meaning as one word if we change the symbolic framework we change what is meaningful. If we change what is meaningful, we change the symbolic framework. So it, it's a you know it's a process, a dynamic process that in, interacts with with one or the other. Um, so you're really thinking about you know then then it's a question of how is that applied and in what way is it applied, and what are the recurring patterns and how do people make sense of this? So that's mm. then when we become observers and we become uh, documenters of the you know we look back at the 1960s and our media landscape has changed have we changed as 
as people, as a society, yes, clearly, we, we, we have a different set of possibilities, a different set of expectations, a different set of interactions. We've become that global village that McLuhan mm-hmm. talked about. But, you know, sorry, if, if, I, if I turn this into a lecture, do interrupt. <laughs> no, it's say. great. <laughs> In, uh, all it is, it's great. And um, just thinking about the um, <clears throat> thing you said there about becoming... Um, observers the you mentioned as well before about having to change you know no longer kind of reflect on on your own um radio station and you shifted to look at three other organizations or initiatives that were were doing similar things but um can you say a bit about that that um difficulty you found looking at your own work yeah you, you're in a position there. that you know if, if you know if you're if you're a a a senior lecturer in a university you've got power over the students uh, for good or real you you are in a position a symbolic position and a practical and a a organizational position so you're not getting a true answer out of them you know and 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 you know don't uh what's the expression we have in liverpool so this is kind of you might bleep this out but don't shit on your own doorstep you know (laughs) because you don't and and I, i i i've learned your students are not the work, you know, I, I, I listened to some conversations uh, with things that I've attended recently with academics who talk about what they, they learn from their students. That's great. But their students are in a bubble. They're in this highly artificial world, which has been created and they've been brought together artificially. Uh, and that's fine as long, as long as you understand that. But that doesn't tell you what the world is like. That doesn't tell you like, what they do outside of that, they're only telling you what they think you want to hear because you're going to mark them and you're going to approve their journey through the academic process. So that power relationship that's there, you've got to be really careful. And and this was a time where it's like so intense, there's so much work needed to be done. I just had to step back from that. And and you know, you just like you just kind of go, you can't you compromised, you can't do both because you can't be that observer and the director at the same time. I'm with you. Um, yes, I'm. I'm. With, I understand. Yeah, that that makes sense. That compromise. Um, the the. I guess then their question is more about like how how through the process using this symbolic interactionism um, framework, do you reflect on your own like positionality and embodied embeddedness in the research process as. Absolutely vital, yeah. and, yeah. and and you know, I, I I would like to be an advocate of get out and go and mm. embed yourself in things now, and and reflect on that as well. Yeah. I think that, and and we're seeing a return. I think that I, 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 again conversations I've had over the over the pandemic and and um, embeddedness, lived experience seems to be coming back into public vogue for the development of public policy. And you're like, where did it, why did it ever go away? Mm. You know, and and I'm I'm uh, I I I I am I'm opposed to behaviorism because I think it's based on a model. You know, it's based on models, supposed rationalistic models of what human behavior is like, which is actually divorced from experience. And being a pragmatist, it's the thing that John Dewey says. You know, it's kind of you know the 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 if your shoe is hurting you, you're the expert in that. The cobbler can help you to fix that and remedy that, but you're the one who's feeling the pain of the pinch of your shoe. shoe. And, you know, applying that as a model of 
research. You, you, you've got to go and talk to people. And I'm not saying I'm any good at this. And there are people out there who are much better and have got a much deeper grounding of this. So it, it shifted my attention from looking at texts and, and you know, film studies or, or, or looking at kind of... And I think it's, it, there's, a, there's a role for that to look at how things change and emerge uh, in terms of uh, textual practice. Um, but I think you've got to dig a bit deeper and you've got to go, well, what sets things up to be, you know, so for example, um, we have a particular outcome of texts at the moment, which is an expression of a form of social organisation, which is a, an expression of a form of thinking, of a form of mindset. Well, how do we, and we're always asking those questions, how did this become? Um, so our job, if you like, as academics is or, or, or researchers is is not to advocate for a model, but to test the model and to ask the questions of, well, what drives this? What, what, what How did this, how did we get to where we are now? And how might it change in the future? And antis- I, I suppose the, the, the fundamental thing is how do we anticipate change? Mm. Uh, so, for, and you've got to kind of, you've got to do it. So it's all very well me being critical of people in, you know, kind of uh, uh, media professional industries. On what basis am I being critical about them? Uh, well, if I've done it, if I've experienced it, and I'm now, I've, I've crossed over from being, if you, I mean, I always taught media production, so it was always very practically oriented. But I've, I feel as if I've crossed over from being a, an academic who somebody just talks about this in the classroom to actually being a practitioner is of immense value and, and really enjoyable, really satisfying as well, and very challenging. You know, it really does go, oh, right, okay. So, But I want to do it differently, and I want to draw on what I've learned to do it in a slightly different way. Uh, and that's the that's where we are with how I'm trying to develop my business and the, the, uh, uh, the practice that I do now is that it draws on a different set of principles. It draws on a different concept of... Uh, human behavior so it, you know it, it isn't about audience development it isn't about behaviorism it's about community engagement so it's about community facilitating interaction and trust and belonging uh, anybody can learn how to use a microphone well, virtually anybody can learn how to use a microphone you shove it in people's faces uh, but at, what questions do you ask and how do you elicit a meaningful response and I think where it settles in, what we've got a challenge with now is that, you know, there's a what's called the meaning crisis. So you get into that whole kind of metamodernism of, you know, what the meaning crisis is. We don't feel connected to one another. You know, the pandemic, one of the things, I think it was the local, not local government association. Um, there's a think tank that does stuff with local government. It doesn't trip off my head and my tongue at the moment. So I might remember it later, but they, they, tweeted a load of things the other day that they'd spoken to CEOs in different local authorities and said, what would you like to see, you know, retained? What, what direction do you want to go? And said, a sense of community engagement, a sense of belonging, you know, a sense of purpose. It's like, okay, well, well, how, how do we do that? And my question is, what's the role for our media in that? Because it's almost absent. There's a, a gap. We sit down in the evening. The expectation is we sit down in the evening, we watch the highlights of the Olympics, we watch Netflix or Sky or whatever platform it is. And where, where are we in that? There's this disconnect. You know, corporate media can be incredible, you know, incredible, uh, incredibly creative, uh, but 
we've kind of lost. So our local journalism has been hollowed out. Our local news have been hollowed out. Um, and I think there's a hesitancy at the moment for people to express views and opinions because what they see through the new, the, the mainstream news media is so polarizing and so limited. Um, so you've got this gap, this space in between, which I think if it's, if, if we get it right, community media can and should, and maybe should have done better in the past, fill that gap and to help foster that sense of belonging and that sense of engagement. So if, I, if I'm if i kind of scattergun with my ideas then and, and, and references, please do kind of just say, you know, jump in and say, Rob, you, 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 you're you talking far too... No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's like fine. I'm, 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 I'm making notes and trying to kind of go back to some of the threads, but one of them was the... Um, there are two things. One is to explore a bit more this idea of community-based work and community-engaged um, practice and essentially what a kind of uh, we might call a, um, a socially engaged research practice might be um, and then also you've talked a bit you've you've also alluded to the kind of what you're up to now <laughs> in terms of the current project so it'd be good to kind of finish with that um a bit more detail on on how you're working now but maybe before we do that if we can go back to this sort of like more conceptual I guess or but also practical <laughs> question of what we mean to what does it mean for us to be because it's something I'm I'm also trying to do myself as a sort of as a social engaged art practitioner um how I how I do that as research um yeah. and of course there are precedents around in in more kind of um ethnography anthropology um disciplines which have you know exper experimented with participatory action research and involving um people in the process of setting questions of developing the research you know the doing the research itself so and i think this really excites me i think it's really difficult to do given particularly the you know the 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 neoliberal institutions where it, it where I, i'm in anyway where there it's really hard to share authorship like at the end of the day and to share genuinely share a process um where people are paid properly where there are um you know people are involved from the very beginning in developing something um it's just like the it's hard to do but it's, it's You're important right, I, you know. <laughs> One hundred percent, absolutely right. You know, this is this 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 is the ground. This is why it's interesting. And but I think let I, I, one of the things I've learned, one of the things I wrote in my PhD, which is the thing I would change, was I said people are goal oriented, and actually I wish I hadn't written that. And because subsequently, and I know people are meaning oriented, and meaning is defined in different ways. And I I don't know what I struggle with this idea of well, what is meaning. Mm. And uh, one of the things I've kind of subsequently read, I've done a lot of reading around uh, Carl Jung's work and understanding the psychological framework around that. I'm not a psychologist, but kind of drawn mm. into it. And it's the idea that meaning is, is meaning a function or is, is meaning something more than that. And we've become a society which views meaning in transactional terms. So the reason that people um, f uh, practice uh, creation of media and research is because it's seen as very cause and effect and you say a plus b equals c and when you fill in forms and when you're trying to get them through committees and managers they're predominantly focused and whether it's that neoliberal model or whether it's just a bureaucratic model they're focused and narrow in terms of how th so so if i ask you you know how does this feel how what have you learned 
they're alien questions mm. to this process. Um, they're things that are outside of the discourse of administration, the discourse of financialization. Uh, and we need, and one of the things I hope that the, um, we learn from the pandemic is, is the, and I'm not, I'm not very confident at using this kind of language because it doesn't originate from my experience, you know, where I come from, if you like, but it's where we maybe need to be going, which is the archetypal shift from speculation, accumulation and management to care and, uh, creativity and invention uh, so we should stop paying attention to the bureaucrats and the managers and the, the people who count things and and spec you know and, and are very good at calculating what their return might be in three years time and we need to shift the mm. dial towards people who can tell you about what it means to feel that you belong to feel that like you are loved to feel like you have some joy mm. in your expression so the discourse and language needs to shift in public policy priorities, but the vast majority of our organisations are not geared up for that mm. and are not set up for that. And we, you know, how do we measure? This is one of the issues I, I, I kind of came out with my research, which is, which is not like, I don't think it's a profound question, but it actually, it, it kind of illustrates some of the challenges, which is... You know, somebody had a conversation with the guy who was running the session and they walked out of the room beaming from ear to ear. How do you capture that? Mm. And how? And most people would say, well, you need, how do you quantify that? So people are looking for things like, you know, numbers and or, or change. You know, you, you put things in a matrix and you measure performance as it changes from 3.4 to 3.5 and you kind of go, oh, that's... And it's like, it's meaningless drivel <laughs> because nobody feels it from within. Mm. Nobody... We all, you know, we're walking around like zombies feeling put upon by this system and we seldom get the opportunity to express our... You know our emotions, our uh, our, our, our the eros. You know it's, we're 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 stuck in a kind of rationalism, which is mm. the logos, and we completely ignore the mythos. You know we don't mm. go anywhere near. You know, but these stories uh, are an integral part of our lives of how mm. we understand things. So the communications process is much more complex. There's many more people have thought about this and, and studied this. You know, there's lots out there. I'm just, this is how I'm trying to apply this to my practice to be mindful. And a good example would be, I think the the pandemic has been, in this country, in the UK has been, or England, has been woefully communicated. Absolutely appalling. Mm. If you live in a, a wealthy market town in the southeast of England, England probably fine, you know, you go for Prosecco or with your friends on a Friday afternoon. You've got a 18-month-old BMW. You maybe go on holiday two or three times a year or something like that. You do a skiing trip and you go to the, the you know, kind of Portugal or something. The communications model has been fine for those people. But come to Leicester mm -hmm. where there is functional illiteracy because people don't speak English well um, – and you're working in jobs where you're not looking at screens or seeing things on your phone. You, you, so, and and just that idea that it was, you know, it was, it was shocking that when the public health teams finally got to go out into the neighbourhoods in Leicester, that they were shocked that people didn't speak English. And it's like, where have you been? You know, fifty-five, sixty percent of people in Leicester are not traditional British English white people. 
And you kind of go, you've only got to come to the city and walk around and hear the different languages that are spoken and look at the literacy levels. It's there in front of you. But there was a kind of denial about that. And, you know, our mainstream media, very effective as it is, um, didn't help. And one of the other dimensions to this was we have to think about how we communicate with people on on, on that intersubjective level because we don't all... Uh, have a common root of thinking and way of understanding things. There are differences. Uh, maybe there, are, you know, deeper down, there's common roots with this. But you know, uh, the, the, there is an element of, if you like, in the Hindu religion or in Buddhism, of fatalism. Uh, you know, your destiny is written in the stars. So why, you know, what's this thing of wearing a mask? And I worked on a project which is uh, supported a project which was called a Germ's Journey, which is about using teaching people in developing communities. I just did some online work over the, over the pandemic with the team who were supporting that about how you teach people to wash their hands and the importance of personal hygiene. Um, and, and, you know, because it was absent from the community frame, from the mindset, from the framework, and yet it has a great impact on things like dysentery and mm. then COVID and things like that. And what I learned from that was that we need to apply these principles here in the UK. We are, we are, you know, we are ignorant of many of these things. But what you won't get, you you won't do that effectively if you follow that kind of behaviourist model of just trying to give people a nudge. And here's the instructions: follow the instructions. No, let's make a story out of it. Let's relate it to something which taps into other stories that you're familiar with. You know that are, are are recurring and have that emotional value to them as well. So you're appealing to people on different levels, and it's kind of like mm. it's at this point where all of these things, as you say, kind of intersect. <laughs> okay, well, how do we make sense of it? It also goes back to that um, those issues around who who speaks, who listens. You know, who is who are telling who's telling the stories, and where are they? How are they being built, and what accents are they in? What languages they in and and who's doing the translate you know the politics of translation and all that so there's a sort of it goes back to those questions where we are I guess through going through that kind of research journey of the PhD it was like oh my goodness you get to really think through those questions of of how knowledge is produced yeah. and what the hell is knowledge and what is meaning and all these like philosophical questions which most people let's be honest don't really have time to ask because they're too busy getting on with stuff but um but I think then your kind of task or um you know ambitions to to do to continue asking those questions collectively through community it you know post PhD without necessarily when I mean, you're do you're you say you are working kind of again with the universities but um, university but there's you, you can you tell a bit more about the kind of practicalities of how you're set up to continue to being so, so Rob I, 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 I'm a, I'm a, I had to set up as a limited company I need I wanted to, I needed to apply for some funding for something a couple of mm. years ago and they needed you to be a, yeah. a, a limited company so I just I, I was away at the time I was actually in Thailand doing some teaching and uh, so I just went online company's house set up a company and uh, and then I could put that down as very quick process to do and actually it's a world that I knew anything very little mm. about because I'd always been salaried. Um, and so now it's like a very, it really does. I've got an accountant. I have to monitor my expenses. I have to figure out how much I pay myself. I have to think about, you know, when I can take a dividend and things like that. And I realized there's a lot of flexibility and freedom that you get with doing that. So 
in order to pay if I'm working with somebody, I can pay somebody within the hour. I don't have to go yeah. for approval through a committee or I don't have to, you know, I'm not employing anybody uh, to, you know, who, who then sits on that because, or is away for three weeks. I, I pay it from my phone now, mm. you know, it, it, it can easily be done. And that gives you a kind of sense of empowerment. Uh, but at the same time, you've also got the risk. It's like, actually, I haven't got anything lined up after September and I need to start thinking about where my next clients are going to come from to fill that gap. Um, and you wake up at times and you think, uh, you know, in the middle of the night, and you think, oh, what's mm. happening? But then, you know, you kind of start to trust the process a little bit and things people message and say, do you, do you, do you, can you help with this? And oh, we've seen that you do that. And can you think about, you know, can we use your name on this? And it starts to accumulate. And that's kind of like. It's it. I suppose it's a trust process, and I'm not. I, I I can't claim to be any good at it. And you know, my website is kind of one of the things I think it's it it's kind of. I I don't spend money on marketing and branding um, because what I want to do is the podcast to do, and the the work that I do is kind of that's about getting that out there. That kind of is my calling card. So that's my. You know, if, if people ask me and they say, you know, kind of, why do you do the podcast? It's me, it's me marketing strategy. I do it for nothing. I do it for free. I enjoy it, but that's where I'm learning from as well. And it's that kind of social economy model um, rather than it being something which I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe somebody with a, with, with a better business mind would be able to advise me to do things in a different way and to and to to hold on, hold back on some things and to move forward in, in, in different ways. But I'm learning that as we go through. And what I like and what I've learned is to take people on that journey of what you're learning. So, yeah, I've learned to set up a a plug-in to my website, which I can use for email marketing. Uh, And that took me weeks and weeks and weeks to learn to set it up properly. But I've learned that because I like learning. Um, And although I could have bought a package off the shelf or use one of the freely available packages online and save myself a lot of time and effort i think i've got a better understanding of how it works and what it can be used for than and that goes back to being on a media production the start of a media mm. production process of thinking what can we do with this so you know email you know, email newsletters are a great form of community media potential great form of community media so you kind of can we use that in a way which is more as you say more socially focused mm-hmm. um so so having a company now kind of but it that enabled me also to say no I'm not working with this person and if somebody comes to me and says you know can you do this and I say no that's not what I do you need to go and speak to why um and and in many cases that's like a bit of a kind of you can draw the boundaries a bit more um and and some things you'll compromise on to fit with them and some things you you don't need to because mm. it's like you know if you want a if, if you if you want a shoe repairing you don't go to a furniture up, upholsterer although they're related practices they're different mm. um but with media and radio people seem to think one of the challenges i had with the uh, i'm working got some fun, funding uh, very grateful for the audio content fund uh, and i have to say they give the best feedback. Sam at the Audio Content Fund gives the best feedback or he, he has to me than any other funding organization I've ever applied to. They really give good feedback. Uh, so even if you're unsuccessful with the application process, uh, and it took me a couple of times to get some funding, and we scaled it back down, the project, 
And at what, but what I had to convince them was that, because they said, well, you've never worked in radio. So I've never had a title like radio producer mm. or you know what, what, reporter or whatever it is, but I've set up and established a radio station. I've taught radio and media production for a long time. I've got a PhD where I've done fieldwork research. What's with a title? And uh, okay, <laughs> okay, we'll 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 fund you, but we're 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 having a punt. You know, we're trying this out. So it's like great. You know, let's see how it works. And so I'm trying to approach this work on the basis of using community development techniques. Um, it, it's fascinating mm-hmm. to, to 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 learn from. Uh, it's not so I'm running things like drop-in coffee shop mm-hmm. sessions rather than I'm not a journalist. So what you're trying to do is trying to and and. I think one of the crucial distinctions, again, that I'm learning through the process is that community media travels at the the, 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 the speed of trust. Mm. And if there isn't trust there, then people won't mm. engage with you. Yeah. Um, and so my job a lot of the time is trying to find a way that builds that trust for people to engage. Um, and that's very difficult at the moment. And I think this time last year, I was on a lot of listening to a lot of podcasts on Zoom calls about what it means to build back better and how we're going to, you know, how the potential for change and radical change. I don't know if it's just me, but that seems to have dried up now. That's disappeared. I'm not seeing those podcasts drop into my uh, 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 iTunes uh, uh, folder. I'm not seeing meetings, invitations. Maybe I've tuned out of it and I'm, I'm you know happy to consider that. But, you know, it's dried up and I think there's been like a consolidation of people saying, well, actually that radical sense of change means has given up some power, some administrative control and people have had a second. <laughs> yeah. And, and they've had a second thought about we it. Really, and gone, it's like, surprise, surprise. We didn't really mean, uh, we yeah. participation light. <laughs> or, yeah. We, yeah. We, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> we, 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 we're going to support, you know, participative engagement, but we're not going to give away any of our, our power yeah of course yeah exactly um, and that's fascinating the, the, the way the way we've got to, we're trying to get around that is we, we i've got a couple of volunteers who've been out and done some vox pops and I, i'm terrified this is one of the things where you you learn your limits i'm fine to sit and chat with somebody and listen to somebody and engage with them um but just walking up to people in the street and doing a vox pop but I've found a couple of people who are really good at it. That's good, yeah. Uh, so working working with them to get some, and it's and it tells you a lot because you know the whole build back better thing is sixty seventy percent of the population randomly selected in the centre of Leicester. I've never heard of it. I was like, well, you know, where have you been? And it's like they've been getting on with their lives. Mm. It's a slogan. Yeah, it they don't pay any attention it. to it. And that puts, <laughs> that grounds you. That mm. says, you know, kind of, but, and, and I suppose the thing is, is, is don't let that fuel a sense of anxiety. I've gone through, going through this process. You walk around and you think this is this, this dysfunctional. Something's not right. Something needs to change. And you kind of internalize that. And I think the shift has got to be from seeing uh, what needs to be changed quite radically as from a, a point of view of compassion and support yeah. rather than blame and yeah. admonishment. And it's easy to fall into that negative side yeah. of this. Uh, so rather than thinking that you have to kind of drive people to change with a stick, uh, look at how you can inspire them. And when we ask this question, does our media do this? M- maybe, 
but I've tuned out of listening to the BBC. Mm. I, I get my information from Twitter, read the Guardian, um, you know, a couple of other sources, YouTube. Uh, I can't remember the last time I watched, watched or listened to a BBC mm. news bulletin. So the journalistic model that's out there that you're expected to fit in with is fragmenting and dissipating. Mm. So what do we what are we planning to put in its place? And I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll let you get a word in. <laughs> but the the last thing I say is that the great disruption that we're we're, we're entering we're, we're we're in climate crisis, inequality, uh, um, automation. Uh, all of these factors, there's you know, kind of globalization. All of these factors are necessitating the question. Well, the techniques that we've used in the past clearly aren't working. What do we need to put in place in the future? And can you point to me any kind of social commentator, uh, thinker, uh, somebody who's experienced it, you know, running civic civic society organisations? Can you point to me where they're saying? our media is part of that process, mm. of that p- process of renewal, um, of that embedded, community-driven, mutual organisations. Where is where is the groundswell of, you know, the movement towards a participatory media culture? Uh, and where is it being championed by people in large civic society organisations, public groups, politicians? Who's championing this? Because that has to be part of the answer. Uh, people have to be included and involved in the process. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they will become disassociated with the process and become cynical and um, drop out of the process. So how do we get people participating in their civic democracy yeah. and the decision-making process? Well, our media is essential to that. But if it's just run by distant corporations that are interested in clicktivism or journalism or whatever it's called or the decisions about the algorithms are driven by people Mm. in uh, San Francisco that isn't that doesn't make any relevant change to here me here in Leicester Mm. or or the people who live in this this city Rob such good wise words (laughs) (laughs) it's very seldom that I get caught I I get that that that, those words used to describe me (laughs) so thank you (laughs) Um, do you have any thoughts to to finish on in terms of where you know maybe like what you're up to right now and the I mean I I always sort of like I'm I'm intrigued to to know if you it sounds like you do kind of still consider yourself a a practice a practitioner and researcher combined but um, do you want to say anything about how that's currently manifesting itself Um, yeah I I mean it's it's kind of um that's a, that's a really interesting because because you I can waffle on and and sometimes it's 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 about remembering to to just be yourself and be human and be normal and to express those things that are you know you're not a machine uh you're not a business machine you're not a research machine and I think one of the things that kind of you learn there's a I'm, I, again I'm not very good at this is kind of yeah, and the word, the, the language isn't right. They're kind of being humble. Uh, so you, 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 because the insight comes from unexpected places, and we, I, you know, we can easily make assumptions. And we meet people. So uh, Ryan, one of the guys who's helping out with the Vox Pops, he can talk to loads of different people. He just one of the Vox Pops we did recently, which is up on the Leicester Stories website, is. Um, 
he talked to this Glaswegian guy who's based in Leicester and he got the most amazing short five minute conversation out of this guy. And you and and that kind of stuff, you know, you gotta get everybody has got something, a story to tell. Everybody has got something of value to share, whether you agree with it or not, whether you think their point of view and their opinion about that is valid or not. Everybody's got and we always say it's not about opinions, it's about experiences. And if you you've got a rich mind to see, you know, a, a seam to mine uh, of people's experiences because they're all unique and they're all different, and it's about bringing them together and finding the way to uh, help people to share that those experiences and tell those. And it's one thing Carl Jung says, you know, if you, if if people are denied the opportunity to tell their stories, evil will prosper. Oh. And that's you know that's wise words uh, because yeah. it's you know we and and we need to tend. I've asked the question recently, uh, which is, what do I hope to see the kind of green roots, green shoots of recovery being as we co- as we build back better? And I've kind of fairly facetiously started to say, I want to see a dismantling of the marketing departments in public organisations, the marketing and press departments, and I want to see them all retrained as community media uh, uh, practitioners. Hmm. So that we all have a story to tell. We're all responsible. We all t- should be empowered and inspired to tell our own mm. stories and our colleagues and our friends' stories. We don't need branding. We don't need, you know, m- marketing to set these things up. We just tell our stories of what we're doing and how we're doing it. Uh, and certainly for public organisations, I think that, that that could be a very powerful shift. And, and, and I know it's fairly facetious to say it, mm. but wouldn't that be great? It would be amazing. And I think I would add to the training uh, provision, um, training and listening to stories. Because I think listening, I mean, it's an obvious thing to say, but you, it's one thing. To, sometimes I think we shout, we're shouting into the void. <laughs> and I've done some some work around the um, uh, the inability of, 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 of those institutions to listen. Um, and so there's, you know, hence the kind of consultation fatigue. We're always, you know, I'm a big fan of the, uh, of educating Rita. And there's a bit where, uh, I, I repeat this lots of times, but there's a bit where she's given a task to Ibsen's play of voices or something like that. How would you overcome the difficulties of staging it? And her answer is do it on the radio. It's the perfect answer. Mm. And podcasting, I think this shift and doing things on zoom, mm. and this is why the, the technology really makes a difference. It changes the way that we listen. Mm. And when you, you know, I love doing the podcast because I love getting into the questions. I love listening to people. Although I've spoken a lot today because you've empowered me to mm. do that because you're a good listener. And when you go back to the physical workplace, I think a lot of people will say, no, we want to go back to Zoom because we're heard in a different way. Mm. And women particularly uh, are able to use Zoom in terms of there's no no evidence, just anecdotal evidence uh, that kind of uh, my impression is that it is less hierarchical and the bombastic men who listen to the sound of their own voice and don't listen to other people uh, is a, I think that will be a permanent shift and we'll very quickly say, no, no, we do need an environment where we need to change the listening model. And I think yeah. it's going to go really deep and part of a core. So training people to listen, absolute. And mm. and what better way to do that than radio? Yeah. Whether you're stood at the kitchen sink listening to somebody's story as it's being played out on a mixed program in the daytime, driving a van, working in a care home, you know, studying at your desk, whatever it is, radio has that power and that potential, mm. not just for the people involved in the process of putting it together, 
that participation, that direct participation, but the community of people who come together as listeners. Mm. And that's why I don't like the audience model because you're doing things to audiences. And what you want is that kind of somebody who listens to that testimony, that story, that advice, whatever it is, that conversation, that discussion, then changes something in their life. Mm. That is the, that's the goal. But yeah, I mean, yeah. and again, how often do we get to express the, express ideas like that and be confident about them? And I'm learning to be a bit more confident about them and, you know, it kind of it slowly changes, but it's very fragile, and you know, mm. it's. But that's why podcasts like this are great. You know, yeah, <laughs> it yeah. gives us an I opportunity don't... to explore. Exactly, exactly. Oh, Rob, thank you so so much for your your um, contributions and you know sharing those those experiences um, with us. And no doubt we will continue to have these conversations, and we will I put in so. the show notes the list, uh, the links to your podcast and the Vox Pops that you've mentioned um, and your research. So yeah, thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been really nice. Thank you for listening to the Corkscrew podcast brought to you by Birkbeck University of London. If you'd like to join the conversation, visit our website in the show notes and sign up to our email list.